Hello, what's up, community builders? Uh, welcome to yet another show of uh, the Community Decoded podcast powered by Thredo. I'm your host, Sharath. I am actually very thrilled uh, to bring this guest today on our pod. Uh, I've been doing my research and I have to tell you, this person has a lot of wisdom and a lot of a uh, lot of quality content to share and I, I do really appreciate her bottom of my heart for doing what she's doing for the community space. Uh, it's other than April McLean. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. You know what? When we were doing our pre-show chatter, the one thing that I forgot to ask you about or comment on is this hat that you're wearing uh-huh. because uh, I too am a Gryffindor and, <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't and have know? a recently lost myself to the Hogwarts legacy game. If you've played it, oh, it will take over your life. So I commend you on your Quidditch representation. Yes, go for (laughs) it. So I'll be honest, I think more than me, my wife is like a diehard, diehard, diehard fan. She read all the Harry Potter books. She always watches like, you know, Harry Potter movies when we like on a Sunday weekend every time. So she actually <laughs> gifted this to me. So she's the biggest fan. I think you should connect with her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, how awesome is it that I'm talking to April in the month of April? That's no. that's the that's the awesomeness peak right there. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. My birthday was yesterday um, or the day wow. before. Wow. Yeah. Related happy birthday. Thank you so much. The number of April puns that I have to hear all month—it's <laughs> just like tired. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure you have a list of them over the years. But uh, for folks who doesn't know April, let me give you guys like a brief intro. Uh, April is the head of community at Late Checkout, one of my favorite product studios out there. Uh, it's fundamentally the studio focuses on building community-first products, which we will dive into a little deeper into. Yeah. Previously, she worked as senior product, senior community manager at the Hustle and HubSpot. Both of them are like you know some of the favorite things I usually follow. And fun fact: we actually interviewed Ivan Hamilton from HubSpot oh, you on did? this yeah, podcast. Yeah, so Ivan's a great guy. Shout out to him. She's also the founder of. OneDry, which specializes in building community playbooks for uh, for brands who wants to go after community building. I have so many things to talk about. I have a list of <laughs> topics I prepared. So let's get this thing going. So right right off the right off the bat, I have like this question about your love with community building. Like mm-hmm. you know, you seem to have like a very deep understanding. I'm not talking about the tech community per se. You have like this this insights that you share on LinkedIn and everywhere that it's it's so grassroots right it's like mm-hmm. really meeting people it's like a it's like a running a political campaign type of a thing where you basically know like your neighbors type of a community mm-hmm. the community building in tech is it has a different side of it but, but it, the grassroots are the same so I want to understand how, how you like really fell in love with uh, with community just in general that's a great, not just a great intro question, but a great description of it. The fact that you said that there's something more grassroots about it. There, a little, mm-hmm. it's a little bit more. I think, I think my attraction to community is a little bit more primal mm. uh, than a lot of the more strategic mind. I mean, well, let's let's just get into the, the history. I think it'll explain more. Yeah. Um, my history with community is tumultuous and very much informs the way that I approach it today. Um, mm-hmm. So I have a, I had grown up in a less than good upbringing. I had gone into foster care and mm. in foster care, I had moved through over 22 homes in a, a span of oh, a couple wow. of years. And there's a couple of things that, that happen when you're moving around a lot as a product of the system, which is you're not given any notice. You're not given right. any reason. Um, right. There have been some small improvements, but back then anyway, you're not even given a suitcase. So you're just sort of right. like traveling with a giant trash bag of wow. your items thrown in from place to place. And there's a real sense of just like floating through the world, lost and untethered and no sense of real connection or anchor point. And it's, it's, um, you have like no agency. So mm. I think that that kind of set the tone for as I became an adult and moved out of the system and started um, 
trying to rewrite some of the beliefs that I had about myself, my desire, I wouldn't even say desire, but my respect for what community does for people's well-being mm-hmm. became an all-encompassing conviction, which is it's a little tricky because it doesn't mean that I myself am good at finding mm. community for myself. In fact, that's one of my weakest attributes is finding my own mm. community. What I am good at is making community for other people and very specifically disarming people. And that's not like a, it it never set out to be this purposeful thing, but for about 11 years, I owned a dance studio for adults. And Mm. so this place was full of thousands of people coming in and out, in and out every day, performing. They come in with all their issues, their body issues, age, all these things. And you just have to be in a room full of people and mm. all teaching dances is just disarming people over and over and again. Like you watch the thing build up in their face. You have to try to recognize it for what it is. And then right. you have to try to disarm it so they can get back into a place where they can feel more free. Um, right. And I think that that's my interest in community far more than any other aspect of it. So when you say disarm, so first of all, I just got chills when you said that, you know, you spent like, you know, moving in these foster homes and it's it must have been so difficult uh, as as a kid and I think I'm so happy for you and I'm so so delighted that where you are right now for for everything you do so mm-hmm. just want to do like you know put out there but thank you uh, when you say disarm like what do you mean I, I know kind of like the answer for it like you know it's it's it tights must have tied definitely towards empathy and yeah. relevance and being, you know, thinking from their shoes. But I want to understand, you know, when you said disarm, even now, like when you work for your clients or customers at OneDrive or like even late checkout. Yeah. What do you mean by disarm? Yeah. Um, it's just people are ve- are simultaneously very complex and just so simple. So mm. the complexity being that everybody, well, I should... I'm told I should not – my best friend always says you shouldn't speak in absolutes. Many people um, (laughs) have – are really well – It's a great advice, by the way. It's a great piece of – because I do say never and always a lot. Um, Right. Many people are just – they have a hardcore set of defense mechanisms that they've built up over time. And I have found that even really well-adjusted people have these – much mm. to a, to a lesser extent, but everybody kind of has a series of things that they do to ward off vulnerability or confrontation or fears or um, misperceptions, and they're always at play. So just one, mm-hmm. it's kind of like I mean, I'm again, I'm playing a lot of Hogwarts Legacy, unfortunately, <laughs> but it's like spells that are being cast over and over right. and over and over again. Right. And so part of that is you see you see that. And then you have to remember the other piece of it, which is like humans are so simple. All humans want to feel that they belong. They want to feel like they're valuable, that they have something to contribute the world to the world. Like it's very simple. Like our need for belonging is very simple. So when you see those things pop up, it's just a matter of like being able to recognize them, those little kind mm-hmm. of micro shifts in their their body and their language and where they're looking and their attention. And then, you know, removing them as gently as you can. You just kind of remove those defense mechanisms over and over again to try to get them. If you do it enough, they'll start to feel safe in your presence. There's like a kind of relaxing that happens. And it's that's really important, especially in dance, when dance is inherently vulnerable. You're like you're moving mm. your body around in front of other people. Right. Um, you're performing you to, in a way. You're, perform, you're always performing and you're always thinking about what do they think about me? Do I look dumb? Mm. So the need to try to keep stripping that away so that people can get, really get what they came for and find like the joyful part of that um, is a skill that I, I think I had to develop as a teacher, but it's been the most useful skill as a community builder. Yeah, I, I love that aspect. And I think this is like an obvious follow-up question. How did you uh, implement that skill that the quality you've developed out of necessity in, in a current environment in tech, like especially you work at Late Checkout with these amazing brands. And of course, you know, you have bigger clients at OneDrive. What is like the the bridge that you built? Dance yeah. school is a, it's a different thing. It's a whole, it's, it's a, we're, we're talking like two different worlds here, you know? 
uh, but it's the the common common uh, foundation is the same so yeah yeah i mean that's tricky i mean whether it's wondery or late checkout or anywhere kind of humans are the same everywhere you go um they just maybe their um fears change mm-hmm. um depending on the setting and i do think that there's one part of this answer that's really frustrating cuz part of it is just like there there's some sort of I've always had some sort of innate ability to read people to some degree, but I, it probably, mm. if I had to guess, um, evolved from kind of childhood trauma. You're, you have to watch for clues mm-hmm. a lot. You're, you're sort of watching for people's moods and if you upset someone and are those people are going to fight and what, like, what kind of safety am I going to need to – so you get really good at kind of staying quiet and reading the world around you. So that part of it is just like a learned behavior. And then I think a part of it was it's a it's a task. I'm not always good at like there's lots of people that find me very annoying. So it's not like I'm out there in the world like some sort of um, you know Eliza Doolittle. Of, I don't think that's the right analogy. Uh, but there is also an element of I'm extremely interested in seeing people and at their best, like seeing what people can do when they're unguarded. So. Right. There's been a lot of people that I've worked with that were like tough nuts to crack, especially in the creative world. There's been a lot mm. of dancers that just came to me with their little heart and shells, but you just mm-hmm. know, just I bet, I bet if if we get that off you, mm-hmm. you just there's all kinds of stuff that's waiting. And right. that's just always been such a rewarding part of the experience mm. that I think mm. those two things combined, it's just been a natural skill that I've found intrinsically valuable and keep doubling down on. I think that's a great quality right there. You know, when we when we work with community builders, right, or we advise or educate them, if we bring the best out of them and make them unguarded, I think mm-hmm. they they exhibit directly what they can do, and that will remove a lot of self limiting beliefs, right? Yeah. That I'm not a community builder. I don't have. I don't know how to build a conversation. I can't bring people together. these are all i think the, the the things that how dancers put you know on themselves like hey i can't dance in front of 100 people 10 people or in front of my family but you can because you know if you want you can right yeah i, yeah. I love the way you you've kind of like uh built like a bridge between both worlds so my again i think i'm being very curious here how the hell <laughs> you you introduced to tech your your you own a dance studio that's a separate oh. thing oh yeah and <laughs> yeah how did you end up like you know working in startups working in with uh, prolific people like greg uh what was like the 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 transition i loved entrepreneurship before i loved to dance so mm. i didn't start dancing until later in life i was like 25 26 mm. before i started So that season came after I you know you hear people talk about how they they were born to be entrepreneurs they're natural born <laughs> entrepreneurs I don't, I don't really know what that means but if if I think there right. are people that are born with just the propensity to it, to me it seems to be this combination of desires my mm. desire to be creative and problem solve my desire for autonomy and agency are just like ever present and i think those three things and i'm i have a lot of grit i had to have a lot of grit in those right, so i remember right. being in my 20s and like making up businesses that making up business names and flyers for businesses that didn't exist and like maybe i could <laughs> and i i started probably like two or three really sad little failed businesses when i was 22 but i got right. one check for like $100 one time and it was i couldn't believe that somebody gave me $100 so I like those small wins are always precious, right? It's such a I mean it's such a you know and and you it's sad now that if somebody gave me a check for $100 it's not like I'm not grateful but it would never have the same impact. I wish yeah, I could like Exactly. hold on to that. Um Right. But there that came first. And so actually being in the dance world was really difficult for me because mm-hmm. it's a very um archaic world. It's there's there's a couple of companies that are doing well. but by and large it's slow to adapt to technology it's slow to think about strategy right. it's like you've most dance studios is just somebody who loved dance who loved teaching open their doors and don't really want to give time to 
Um, like they would never think about effective marketing or sales mm. funnels or anything like how how to like tech enable their company. So I mm. always found like I felt very lonely running a studio because I didn't find a lot of artists who thought the way I did. Mm. Um, and because I had already done quite a bit in that world, I was um, working at an accelerator on a contractual mm. basis. So I was running Google Venture Design Sprints for incoming cohorts of people at this nice. accelerator while I was running my studio and specifically only so that I could just scratch some sort of like itch that I have that mm. I couldn't really get often in the creative world. So when it was time to leave the studio behind, it was we were it was year 11, it was thriving, it was doing well. Um, and I decided like this, it's time to just have new adventures. I had no mm. idea what was next, um, but I went to work for Sam Parr and that just yep. sort of like brought me into, I think, a new world of people and the way that they think when it took all of the skills that I had and just really challenged and amplified them. So I'm incredibly grateful just to have found these opportunities because I'm a totally different person. I don't think I could ever own a studio again for that reason, but totally <laughs> different person. Yeah. You no, know, that, that, that's amazing. And shout out to Sam Parr. I feel uh, he discovered so many gems like yourself like steph smith is one of them yeah he digs uh, for gold <laughs> right like you know yeah. uh I, I i'm good friends with steph he, she's amazing she's phenomenal she's like doing she's incredible phenomenal. job at yeah. 16z so talk to me about your experience working at the hustle the reason i'm asking this question is the hustle is more of like a media first content first yeah uh, heavily focused on that and you were like a community manager there so mm -hmm. I, I know like the the community they've built over the years. Uh, but So the question I have is how did you mold yourself into uh, balancing the media centric mindset with community building? Like a lot of people struggle with that. They, they either specialize in one thing, like they're very good at creating content or they're very, very good at like, bringing people together so yeah. how did you like you know uh make sure it it actually like you know co-sits with each other like co it's kind of like a co-piloting right yep uh so first media is my favorite um industry in which to build community i think media mm. and community go hand in hand and Actually, when I left and launched Wondery, that that's like my the sole focus is like right. community for media companies, right. specifically newsletters. Mostly, I love newsletters a lot. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but but at the hustle, um, it wasn't an automatic. It wasn't an instinct for me. So that my first focus was just on the community, and because I actually the community that I managed was called. The product was called Trends. So it was like yeah, the premium trends. offering right, of the hustle. Right. So because it was a higher end, higher price, it it automatically acted as this filter that brought in people that were really high sharp, high end thinkers around their businesses. Right. And that is, I think, a community manager's like dream to be handed like a high <laughs> quality filtered right, group yeah. of people to engage with. And I, I learned a lot inside of that like for the first I would say six to eight months it was just me figuring out like reinforcing and then challenging some of my beliefs but mostly reinforcing this idea that no matter what people are all the same because you have these people in there that were like hard charging no nonsense and at the end of the day they were all like also struggling with the same insecurities mm. and needs and and um one of my colleagues Ethan I credit him for kind of all the other good things that happened in my time there because he is really really sharp about content and newsletters and he mm. he handed me certain tasks and responsibilities that quite frankly at the time I just didn't have any business doing um mm -hmm. I didn't have the skill set for but he believed that I could develop it so writing portions of the newsletter and and he over time taught me how to be a better writer how to think more clearly about content um he actually wrote this incredible book on newsletters, like this whole guide on launching profitable newsletters. But anyways, because of him, I was able to see the full picture of how media and community marries each other. And it's, mm. I mean, can it be more simple in terms of how it works? Because media is, is like giving a whole bunch of people right. really specific information. Like unless you're a, right. kind of a broad 
you know, news company. But let's let's take anything. Let's take Daily Candy or we'll take um, Milk Road or whatever. It's just right. that bunch or of Or even people. Morning Brew has Morning Brew. one of the biggest Exactly. These are just people who all have a specific knowledge and you're feeding them that knowledge. So the logical other step there is now let's put them in a space where they can mm-hmm. share that knowledge, where they can give their thoughts and opinions, where they can challenge each other, where they can amplify what you're building, where you can get more ideas from them about what they really think and what else you can be building. And in the process, you get your longer retention, you get higher LTV, you get lower acquisition cost. Like it's just it's a match made in heaven, those two things. So I've, I just mm. feel like they in, they play with each other so well that I don't have, I don't struggle too much anymore to separate them out from each other. Yeah, that's, I think, uh, I think community builders should think this very seriously, what you said, which is balancing out uh, content, media, information, broadcasting, distribution, and blending community into it because I feel that's yeah. a great way to kickstart a community with high quality, high skin in the game people. You yeah. don't have to worry about like, you know, retention and, you know, and all the other things which churn or anything because they're they're putting their money and their their time into it. You you briefly talked about writing. And mm-hmm. uh, if you were to give maybe like three, four tips for community builders who are starting like, you know, starting a newsletter, what, what would that be like, like in your experience? Community builders who are starting a newsletter? Starting a newsletter or they're writing blogs or like, you know, where should they start? What are the tips? Yeah, producing content in general. Um, Shoot. I mean, the first thing that I would say is the hardest part is just to do it consistently. Consistency Mm. is the most underrated trait, I think, when it comes to writing and content because it seems to be the thing that 100% of the time – separates successful from unsuccessful people. For people building influence, there it's the consistency that gets in there. And you can see this because there are tons of people who build lots of following, lots of influence by curating, remixing, unfortunately, sometimes outright copying the tone mm-hmm. and style of others. But because they do it consistently, they mm. get way ahead of many of us who, which brings me to tip number two, is like don't worry about needing to have the most original thoughts because mm. you could really paralyze yourself by thinking like I've got to come up with like my own all new original right. incredible um what that's a really good way to never do it is to tell <laughs> yourself that it's got to be incredible original work right. um i think the couple other things that i would say is one just remember that community building is a really weirdly siloed industry, mm. meaning every major source of content that you go to for a community, let's say like Greg Eisenberg, David Spinks, let's say you go to Comsource mm-hmm. blog, or there's just all these things. Everybody has different frameworks, different methods, different ways of looking at things. And that is a nod to the infancy that community building is still in. Like we're such babies mm. because – if you look at marketing, let's say, which marketing has been around a long time, there's a bunch of terms that we True. all understand. Like we all know what customer acquisition costs mean. We all know what a funnel is. There's just like a dichotomy there that that is a shared language we get. With right. community, it's like there's maybe two words that you all under you all understand engagement and you all understand <laughs> platforms. Like we kind of know that these are things. But aside from that, it's just a whole bunch of people who are still mm. developing. So um, that's another piece of this. Like this is all just in development. So take your swings, like take, it's mm. too new for you to look dumb. So just mm. take your shot. Um, and then the very last thing I would say is you're, if you get consistent, you will get criticized like that's that I've had mm. posts and I'm not even a great content creator where people come in like, no, that's not right. And that just, you just have to be okay with that because yeah. actually they don't know and you don't really yeah. know either. So yeah. just put it out there anyway. Basically, everybody's shooting in the dark, you know, yeah, right? Exactly like, right. <laughs> and it's what, like the Web3, NFT, AI, like all of them are just trying to figure it out as they go along. Exactly. And what you said is absolutely right. Let me reiterate what you said, which is we're still in the very, very like foundational stage. We haven't yeah. even, uh, especially when we talk about community building, because take marketing for that example. There is conversational marketing, there is email marketing, there is SEO, there's like 
tons of types of marketing yeah. that people mastered what are the types of community building people mastered we still we we don't have categories in community building that is still yet to be discovered invented mastered i think that's why i am so excited to be part of uh this space because i'm a product person by nature but mm-hmm. what really triggered me or pulled me as a magnet is that this is something to really explore it's it's with people yeah and it, it ties around new territory new territory and it it, mm-hmm. it challenges us to like you know think what we can do uh that's i feel like you you've, you've gained a ton of experience working at the hustle so i was curious like when you moved of course hustle was bought by hubspot mm-hmm. it was a big acquisition yeah and you were also like a community manager there and hubspot is a product company yeah <laughs> it's not a content media company but they do like content as well which is which is good yeah what, what was that like uh what did you like ever encountered with a with the product community they built or what was like your day to day there and what what are some lessons you learned working at hubspot yeah the acquisition didn't change my job function or role i was um, the acquisition was happening as i was being hired so i oh. never really knew the difference um <laughs> I just was always working on a small media faction inside of a very large right, company. Right. But there were still some really valuable things about being part of a company like HubSpot. I mean, if you're paying attention everywhere you look is a new kind of strategy or process or thing to uncover and think about like it's a wildly successful publicly traded company. There's lessons everywhere. So, I learned a lot working specific HubSpot has like crazy prowess mm. around content and SEO and blogs and the way that they they actually have this free course that I took on using Ahrefs to right. create these like <laughs> content gap reports to create and right. I remember at the time my it was like my brain was turning to oatmeal I was so overwhelmed with every <laughs> it took me 4 hours to work through this like 2 hour course inside of a coffee shop but right. it was so smart and the way that they are constantly going back and making tons of minor tweaks to keep mm. their flywheel running strong the way that they utilize and build this like huge podcast media machine sure. where different divisions feed each other and then feed the company as a whole so i just think in right. general hubspot was a um it was like a wild lesson in mm. all of the giant strategies that can be pulled off and like lord knows i would need 100 people at my disposal but i'm still quite inspired by the way that they build Oh yeah, HubSpot is I think phenomenal. They've they've pioneered so many things, uh especially for marketing, especially SaaS founders. They inspired so many people, entrepreneurs. Yes. Darmesh is is one of my heroes, you know. Uh, yeah. He, he's he's guy. he's a phenomenal guy who's very authentic and humble as well at the same time. He always thinks customers, you know, put customer yeah. in the first front seat. Uh Let's switch gears a little bit and talk about late checkout and yeah. I I want to understand on your website first of all whoever designed the website kudos massive massive shout out to them the so yeah. Yeah, yeah the so vibrant so conversational i want to check out mm-hmm. more pages it's like that and one of the things i that that piqued my interest is uh, uh late checkout is a company or a product studio where it fully focuses on community first products building yep. community first products so what do you mean by that and as a as a as a product builder myself i i think more from a feature set and even a lot of lot many founders think solving a problem mm-hmm. how do you blend community into it i know mm-hmm. the answer because i've done many of that but i want to unpack your thought process yeah i mean the the short answer is imagination because i have found working at late checkout that i'm never there's never a, a new project on demo day where i see what what they're building and i'm like oh we've done that before it's like there's the imagination <laughs> that goes into thinking uniquely about each client experience um blows me away and we do have the i will say objectively the best designers in the world so i agree mm. about the website and everything <laughs> else um late checkout is just a really incredible company and the reason i was drawn to them is exactly what you said is like it felt like 
I found a space where people saw the world the way I saw the world, that everything they saw was, okay, how do we see all this again? But like this time through a community lens, what does it look like if it's channeled through community? So um, there's lots of various ways that we think through that one. It's so Elsie is a holding company and we have our fund and we have our agency and we have lots of like studio product uh, projects. So there's always a ton going on. Um, but I would say from speaking specifically, I'll speak from my position because there's lots of our um, folks who work with really big, incredible companies who are presented with a project like, hey, we want to create this new app or this new um, uh, intranet sort of mm-hmm, structure mm-hmm. firm. How do we do it in a way that brings people together, that introduces rituals? That, so they're great at that. Mm. I specifically work on a lot of things, a lot of projects that are deployed through what we call um, the community-based product playbook. So Mm. there's a playbook that we have that we've sort of open sourced because we do teach it through community college. Um, But that playbook is basically how do you Um, identify a niche of people, like a very specific niche of people that would be delighted to have you build a little corner of the internet just for them. Mm -hmm. How do you create content that is compelling to them, Mm. build all that attention, convert that into a community, and then have a close enough relationship with that community to where you're constantly like mining for ideas and listening for um, whatever product you're going to develop. So it goes audience, community, product. Um, Mm. Or as we also say, like attention, retention, monetization, there's a couple couple ways to do it. But we've used that playbook over and over again to think about the world through a community-based product lens. Um, Most recently we, this, this one is a little bit wild, but we, there was, there's a clearly a trend in AI that's not going away. It's only getting like more frantic. Uh, and so Greg just basically tweeted out, you know, like, let's, let's talk about AI who's in. And that single tweet, we ended up within two months, we have this like 30,000 person discord. Um, we had 50,000 people on an email list and then at, ended up building an AI agency off of those two things. So it's the exact thing. It was the attention, it was the community, and that was the monetization piece. So this is a very long-winded answer, but all that to say is like people, community gives you the highest probability of success when you're looking at launching a product. When you build community before you launch a product, you get to hear ahead of time, all of the things that they wish existed if you're listening the right way. And then you don't have to do the thing that I think a lot of us have done where we've launched a product to like crickets and it's so disheartening. Like right. nobody's buying, nobody cares, but you were certain it was the thing that everybody wanted. And I think community helps you bypass all of that kind of angst. Oh my God. You, you're, you're preaching to the choir because I've, I've, I've been so vocal about it and I've, I've saw uh, in my experience building product without an audience and building a product with audience oh yeah and my god the it's like black and white like it's yeah. like completely it's completely opposite i feel so the the best analogy i come up with whenever people ask like especially product founders why should i build a community the the the, the best analogy i come is like imagine you're a, you're a performer like you're an opera singer and you're in a LA Colosseum are like the best of the best auditoriums in the world. Yeah. And there literally nobody sitting in the audience. <laughs> so like, sad. And you're this yeah. incredibly talented, you know, artist singing at your highest best. And nobody's listening. So that's <laughs> like yeah. people building products without like, you know, community who are consuming, who can give you feedback, who can cheer, who can boo. Those are all, they, they all count, right? right? Like they, they make you better, right? They, yep. they make you iterate your craft and whatnot. So what you said is abs- absolutely, I think someone should actually like make it like a, like a big thing out of it. I think Greg tried it so many times. Uh, and what you said is actually true, which is you start with an audience, you build a community and you can, you can easily dive into like building something for them that comes out of them so what are some tactics that you find it really valuable or you suggest like do people should focus on audience building first and then 
selecting a bunch of people in that audience and then like you know focus on com- uh, park building what is it like i know the playbook which you said is absolutely like you know true mm-hmm. is there a chance people can flip the switch and say hey i love like minded folks let me actually bring together bring a bunch of people together in a slack or on yeah. discord and then yeah. what what what's your take on that so uh, the the methodology that i outlined is you know it's a 10 out of 10 but mm. i also agree with you and think that community can actually exist in several plot points along a business's life cycle um and not just in several points but community can sit in several places in a funnel as well mm, true like community can be bottom of the funnel because either it's a paid community or Right. the community comes with the paid product. Right. Community can be in the middle of the funnel like I just said. So you got people's attention and now they're hanging out and then you get to build a product. Community can also be the top of the funnel if you're not building an audience. I would say that that's the hardest part. Mm. Um and the audience piece is the elephant in the room all the time to me. I think it's <laughs> it's the one thing that we don't know how to address cuz it's kind of gross. I, I hmm. It's like everyone's kind of burnt out by all the tweet threads and the teaching right. and the coaching and the guru we're like we're, we I think we're all fatigued. I know I am. Right. I I mute a lot of people um right. <laughs> and just to stay keep the ones that I know that I feel are really truly bringing something to the table that makes me go, "Oh, that's interesting." Like I, I can't. Hmm. And some of the, some of them are very underrated. Some of the most well-known kind of content creators, it's like Ugh. Um, building an audience is hard. Mm. And I think that statement sounds very like, duh, but mm-hmm. I don't know that I can say it more. It's really hard. Like building mm. an audience is oh very hard. Yeah. Um, I suspect it's for a variety of reasons that have to do with like ego, to be quite honest. Mm. Um, but it is a very hard thing to do. And I do think you can launch a community without it. The difference is it's so much easier to convert audience members right. into community members than having this like cold start where now you have to try to reach out to a bunch of people. But for example, um Chief, which is one of the most highly valued paid communities that there is, mm-hmm. I don't know everything about their start, but what I do know is that in the beginning, they did not build an audience. There was no like big chief social mm. media or newsletter that built that they converted. They actually seeded their core membership by personal invites. Like the whole right. doing things that don't scale cliche yeah. was very mm-hmm. present there and they were very good at it. So I think that they're a great example to point to and say like if you're willing to put in the work mm-hmm. and you have a really strong community value prop, you can absolutely get something going without building an audience first. Yeah, because uh, oh my god, I, I, it's it's so freaking hard to get people's attention. And if you don't get people's attention, you're not building an audience. You're yeah. just like, you know, you're shooting in the dark. right it's not it's not going to be a two way street uh and what you said is absolutely i think there are some examples i feel uh people accidentally build community without them knowing about it i think product hunt is one of them right like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. product hunt started like with this very passionate problem solving group yeah small group like a bunch of friends of ryan and they just like spread like a virus you know within within like a short span of time yeah so i feel there is i, I think uh, there is no right or wrong answer it's just like the how you feel about it and like you know how you execute and, what and you like can do yeah exactly use your network and what not so i think greg greg eisenberg tweeted this a long time before about audience building versus community building versus network building what are your thoughts on i think we've talked about audience getting people's attention you know building like a set of group community nitpicking who are interested like minded folks in it mm-hmm. how does network play uh, in the role what, what do you think about it yeah the thing that i'm learning the hard way is network is something that is um it's like a non-negotiable and as somebody mm-hmm. who is a total introvert and would do anything <laughs> not to have to go to a networking events like right. um 
so that's one thing is like you just you don't get to really bow out of it um, mm-hmm. if you're trying to build something like this. And then the second part is that it's something that does require genuine nurturing. And what I mean by that is there's a lot of tools or methods that will allow you to build um, a really big vanity network. So mm. like on LinkedIn, I'm, I'm sure you do too. Like I'm sure many sure. of us get lots of connection requests constantly. Right. No idea who any of these people are. Um, <laughs> and I'm more lax than I should be about LinkedIn. I'm like, sure, if you're interested, like that's fine. Let's just do this and we'll, we'll prune you out later. Right. Um, but that really is not helpful at all because if I'm not curating the people in my network, then when I do put out content, there's mm. going to be a bunch of people who don't care and are not going to interact with it because we didn't come into each other's network because we truly have any sort of like mutual interest or overlap. In fact, chances are you're, you sent a connection request through like an AI because you're hoping to pitch something, right? <laughs> so then you right. enter in this like really vicious cycle where you're growing your network and then you finally put out some content and the whole thing flops and then you the algorithm punishes you because nobody mm-hmm. was interested in what you... So I would I feel like you have to build a network and you actually have to care about who that network is, which is mm-hmm. dang, I would like that to not be true, but I think it is. Yeah, yeah absolutely true. I feel a network is a it's a tricky thing, right? You basically have to build uh, a, a long term relationship with a set of people, and yeah. who basically can introduce to their network. It's kind of like a like a you know like a roots in a tree. It's so spread out, and you basically yeah. constantly have to keep up with it. But yeah, uh, let's talk about Greg Eisenberg. The man is. Uh, <laughs> He's a legend, you know. Yeah. <laughs> he, he is. Uh, he's one of the authentic community builders out there, who really speaks like you know, like a person, like not a not a robot or like a like a machine thing. He's very mm-hmm. authentic when he mm-hmm. tweets about anything. What was it like working with him? Any key takeaways that you've learned that you want to like you know share with us today? Yeah, I'm. I think there's a couple of things that I really enjoy and that I learned working with Greg. One of them is that, um, so I'll start with a simple one because it was the sort of the first <laughs> thing that, um, it, that I remember thinking like, oh yeah, he's right. And that is just like Greg optimizes, like Greg asks himself like, is this fun? Is this worth doing because it's fun? Mm. Which is like this, this kind of seemingly innocuous question but right. we were talking about this potential project and he's like, yeah, but is this going to be fun? And mm. I thought, oh yeah, we don't have to do something just because like we don't have to slog through. We can actually ask ourselves like how do we do work that we enjoy doing? Right. Um, another thing that I really enjoy about Greg's uh, thinking is that he really does ask himself about experience, like the outcome experience of the end user first, which I have mm-hmm. have not seen done very often. I'll give you a, a example of this. It's like he's Greg. He's he's busy. He's running a company. Mm-hmm. There's lots of things he could be doing. His time is very valuable. But we're running this currently running this cohort of community college. It's a it's mm-hmm. like a four week course where we teach people how to build community based products. And right now we're in week two. And he messages me yesterday morning and was like, I think we need to give them more chances to have like live, like live time with us. Like, what do you think we can do? And so we're doing this mixer and then he's like, oh, they can sign up if they want to do one-on-one office hours with me. Like I'll spend a little time with each of them and give them feedback on what they're building. I've never, ever worked with another founder who Mm. was willing to go the extra mile, like Mm. above what we even promised the course would entail just to make sure that people were walking away with everything that they could walk away with. And that's a really great like nod, I think, to the way Greg thinks through the experience that people are having. Like he really wants people to have all that they can to be successful, even if that means like adding more than what we promised. And I just really respect that approach. I think, uh, yeah, one of the things I, as an observer, um, not like as close as you with Greg, but I kind of like interacted with a bunch of times. I think he's very service oriented. Like when mm-hmm. I say service, it's like servant type service where I want to serve you type of a thing. Like I, how can I help you in the best way possible? You know, mm. are you extracting the best way, best things from me? Yeah. So it's more of like a guy who offers a lot, right? Mm-hmm. He 
I just randomly cold DM'd him. Like I'm I'm a nobody. And he responded to me with yeah. as if like he's like, okay, let me let me talk to this person. So and he kind of we, we the the brief story there is like when I was actually looking for a job, this was like two years ago. Mm-hmm. I was fresh out of like, you know, a startup at YC and I'm looking for like a community role. I put it put the tweet out and he found it and he said like, hey, let's chat. So, well, long story short, we didn't we didn't end up end up working together, but I learned like you know that service first mindset. Like, okay, let me actually give it a shot. Like, you know, yeah. so that's something I think you know uh, a lot of community builders can learn from Greg. That yeah, that offerings that you know he does uh, to people. Uh, let's let's very specifically talk about community building. I want to like I have like a couple of questions there. Sure which is you recently tweeted about engagement, measuring engagement, thinking about engagement when you build a community is, is a bad goal. Yeah. Do you want to talk about it in a, in a, <laughs> in a more elaborate way? Why do you think that? And if not engagement is a bad goal, what is the goal community builders should, should like go after? Like, okay, this is something like, you know, after yeah. chase. <laughs> yes. This is one of my favorite topics. Um, <laughs> I have such strong opinions on this. Uh, yeah, I think engagement is a really weird goal. Um, because first of all, what does it mean to be engaged with something? It means like you're totally paying attention to it. Right. Right. So we, I can understand why we want engagement. So it's, it's not like, it makes total sense that that's something that has become like the word du jour of the community world is like engagement, but what, to what end Community is not tied with any real, I mean, sorry, engagement's not tied with any real outcome. So the example that I always give, and I'll give it again, is that if I can walk into a room and like call everybody an asshat, like, hey, asshat, hey, asshat, just like, or I can like walk into a room and start throwing water balloons. I can flash everybody. There's all these things I can do (laughs) and I'm sure to get engagement, you know, but if if the goal of that community meeting was anything outside of getting pummeled with water balloons or called names or whatever... (laughs) then who even cares that I got engaged? Like, what what did the engagement drive? Um, And that's a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but I I see all the time inside of communities that people post conversation starters or they post sweepstakes or they do all these things because they just want people to talk. They just want people to talk. And it's just not helpful. It's not driving Mm. the things that matter in the end. Um, So in terms of what to measure, first of all, I think there needs to be an acknowledgement that there's all kinds of people in your community. There are people in Mm. your community who really want to be seen and validated and love the spotlight. And there are people that do not at all want to even talk in the community. Um, There's all Mm. kinds of like, they're complex humans and you're not all going to get them to swim in the same lane. So don't even try. Uh, This whole idea of like, we just need to get more people to be engaged is silly. Leave people where they are. I think what's important is, is your community worth returning to? So the first thing that I recommend people measure is usually stickiness. I've gotten some pushback on this, but I'm going to stand <laughs> firm. I'm going to rest on my laurels. Mm-hmm. I think stickiness is probably the most important part when you're building a community because we define community, we meaning inside of late track. Well, everybody kind of has their own thing, but like yeah, yeah. for me, I define community as having to meet three specific criteria. And the criteria mm-hmm. one is that there's some sort of like shared goal, purpose, mission, whatever. There's something shared there. Right. Um, criteria two is that there are many to many relationships being fostered. So it's people talking to people, not like a central source talking to everybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the third piece of criteria is that there needs to be a reason, like rituals, a reason people return. So they have to come back together over and over again. And like the best parallel I can give is if you go to like a speed dating event, let's say. Right. It's like you and 40 other singles and you're all about to have this like shared experience where you meet a bunch of people for five minutes. Well, you have a shared purpose and you're certainly going to have many to many relationships, but I wouldn't call that a community. There's nothing that's being like fostered for you to return to. So the first thing that I measure in a community is either like daily active users divided by monthly or weekly divided by month, or maybe it's, I'm reversing those, but you get the point. Mm -hmm. Is it sticky? Like, do people want to come back to the community? If they don't even find it compelling enough to come back to you, you have to take a few steps Mm. and readjust because something's gone wrong. That's way more important than engagement. I think what you said is uh, very interesting because in my experience, 
I think 95%. I'll leave the 5% for people like you, like you, David Spinks. They don't really care about engagement or what's going on internally on a day-to-day basis. But the 95%, yeah. they just like really get panicked. Like, okay, if we don't get like five people re- uh, respond to a Slack message, we're done. They, they, they think that they're doomed. The community is like going nowhere. Yep. But I want to add like a specific uh, extension to what you said. Engagement is a bad goal, yes. But I feel like there should be uh, some sort of an end goal to that goal, which is not a which is not a good goal. Which is <laughs> engagement should lead to happening one-on-one conversations. That should be like mm-hmm. a good goal to achieve. For example, if I put like a like a Slack thread on an interesting question, and if I get fifty people for example, talk, share their opinion, there should, that's not the goal. Getting 50 responses is not the goal, but getting 50 people, at least half of them get on, get on an intro call with each other to get to know Mm -hmm. more each other. I think that, that goal is fundamentally will, like you said, builds that stickiness and, and foster the relationship in between them. So uh, that was like just an example. And yeah, I, I, I think that's where people get lost. The 90%, 95%, they just think that they just stop right there. They don't have like a, like a deeper goal to chase. Goal is a bad mm-hmm. word, first of all. I, I hate goals when it comes to community building. There are only <laughs> intentions to me. To me, it's all about good intentions, putting it out and, you know, finding right people, right? So you said two things. One is... Two criteria which I really respect. Uh, it should there should be like a many to many loop that should form mm-hmm. in the community, right? And there's the, the stickiness, which is people should return back to the community. Right. What are some if you have like quick examples that you want to share? Who successfully launched initiatives around these two topics? Do you do you have like some examples to share for people to like to get inspired from? Like other communities that do this well other communities or even at late checkout what what is something that you've tried out that worked really well that you want to share so that people who are listening community builders especially they 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 might like steal the playbook but they add their own flavor to it and yeah. implement in yeah. their own community yeah one of the things that we i've done a few times actually I did it at trends and i've done it at late checkout is i use this great tool called twine mm-hmm. um t w i n e and twine is a little app that you can add to zoom And it allows you to host speed networking automatically. So you press one button and then people are moved through in pairs every five minutes. They keep shuffling around. So you don't have to like manually use uh, breakout rooms, which is a a great thing. And then each of the breakout rooms actually include a couple of icebreaker questions so that you're not like really at a loss for words if you don't want to be. So that's one thing I think is... I think speed networking events are underrated because for people like me who find socializing daunting, it's over <laughs> quickly. Like no matter what, this thing's only going to happen for five minutes. I don't, I'm like, it's, it's, I'm going to be okay, you know? Right, right. Um, and it's just a great way to get a first impression of a whole bunch of people. So in terms of fostering many to many relationships, that's something that has worked really well for us. Um, interestingly, our stats on late checkout land are really strong despite the community being very small. It's like less than 200 people Mm. in the founding cohort. Um, and it's not that noisy in there. Like, it's not like a lot of people talking all the time, which Mm. going back to what you said a minute ago, you said, you know, somebody posts something and they need to get five replies or they start to panic. I get it. It's a really uncomfortable <laughs> feeling because it's sort of like being around a dinner t- table with people and like right. you say something and no one talks back and you start to feel like so embarrassed. Like, oh my God, right. this, this is just like the worst thing ever. Um, so I get the the urge, but I would say like late checkout land is a prime example of why sometimes that's not the thing to focus on because we use, by the way, I have to shout out this tool called Waves, W-A-V-E-S, because um, mm-hmm. Waves for Slack is incredible, but we use this tool called Waves that um, gives us really great insight as to our lurkers, our inactive members, like all of these these deeper stats. And right. our community manager 
um, has been making an effort to get into DMs with every one of our members. So she's getting into these one-on-one conversations. And I have watched that inside of our Slack, there's not more conversations. Mm -hmm. Um, So the conversations aren't rising with the amount of DMs, but the amount of engagement and activity is rising Mm -hmm. with her, which means that just by her forming relationships with people, they're coming in and consuming more content and poking around and being present. So I also think that being in DMs with members is really, really underrated and that to take it a step further, have a couple of cool questions ready get on 20 minute calls with your members and then post in the community and summarize the day's calls and a couple of cool things you learned about each member. It's such a cool way to make them feel like they were heard, that they were validated to get other people to recognize them. So I think little simple things like that go a long way. Yeah. I think personal DMS, you know, they always work. And in my experience, I feel, uh, people who, I think this, especially with stickiness, it's the one-on-ones. I don't know for some reason. Yeah. If you just have a one-on-one with someone in your community for just five minutes or 10 minutes, you yeah. don't have to like spend hours. I think that builds big like difference. a big, make a big difference, right? Yeah. So that's something definitely people should try it out. Uh, what else? I feel like last question about community building before I want to touch a very specific uh, LinkedIn post you, you, you posted, I think a week or three weeks ago. What are some underrated playbooks that you want to share about community building? Uh, I think apart from the popular one which you shared, audience first, then community next, and building a product for them. Yeah. For just in general, anything in particular in your experience that you're like, okay, this is a so underrated. A speed take speed networking. That's so underrated, right? I, yeah, I personally yeah. want to do it after this call for my community. Yeah, twenty <laughs> yeah, is great. Um, my favorite underrated very like sort of subtle you would never know it was such so so helpful is this like little little framework that again my former colleague Ethan had had taught me at um uh trends we were talking about community events and he's run he's done a lot of community work and run a lot of community events and he said um when it comes to events all people want three things they mm-hmm. want to um learn something interesting They want to meet someone interesting and they want Mm -hmm. to contribute in some way. Mm -hmm. And if you can make those three things happen for people, it feels – it could be like standing around a hot dog stand with relish Mm -hmm. dogs. But if you can make those three things happen, it feels like such a good event to them. Mm -hmm. And I remember when he first said that, I – it made total sense to me. Like, yeah, that's so true. And then I had run a a bigger event with a couple hundred people a few months later. And it it, – not only is it so true – but it made me realize all the way this plays the ways this plays out that I had never considered before. So like for example, at the studio when we used to have like a let's say we're having a big evening production. So we're going right. to do this like big concert. There was always kind of a group of people that would get there a little bit too early. It's like, "Oh, y'all are here really early." And they would <laughs> say like, "Hey, is there something we can do to help?" And you this happens when you have dinner parties too. People come over right. and say, "Anything I can do to help?" Always say yes. Mm. Always say yes. As a host, your inclination is to say, no, please enjoy yourself. What would make them enjoy themselves is if they felt that they had contributed to the event. Mm. So like allowing people to to help you, even if it's just like gathering folding chairs or sweeping right. or cutting up some celery, actually makes them feel like a deeper connection with your, your event. Um, and once I realized that, it really changed my approach. Like if I can make all three of those boxes get ticked <laughs> for every person – it's a wildly successful event. That's so awesome. That's I think in a way you're making them put skin in the game in the yeah, thing you great. do, right? So you you kind of like sharing something with them, them being not knowing it, right? In a way, so they own it yeah. in a way, right? So yeah. that's that's great. That's clever too. That's smart. Uh, I think one one last thing I want to talk, which is this personally inspired me a lot, and you recently shared about your uh your story about being homeless mm. you know with your one-year-old kid that's fundamentally like you know shook me as a as a as a new dad myself mm. i couldn't even imagine like you know um how hard it must have been for you and again i'm i'm that that made me so happy to 
to see you like this in your in the way you're doing right now you know everything you said three things one is i feel it it's all about again tying back to who you are originally which is kindness is is the, is fundamentally like the the root of everything and community is like everything that you shared in the post and everyone has a story do you want to talk about what kind of impression that that whole experience made you as a person and formed as a as a community builder or like just in general like you know a leader yeah it's wild it's so wild to think about those years because it feels like it was like someone like it happened to someone else it's just, it's just very very surreal um the the most the thing that i think about the most when i think about it because it i w- i was living in my car with mm. a 1 year old for a while but even in, there was a whole maybe set of 3 4 years 4 years where regardless of my situation it was a, i was in a dark place i was living in a motel or i, mm. I was living in my car or like it's just a long stretch of right. just ugly um right so when i think about that time interestingly enough the first thing that i think of is of this woman named Becky. Um mm. I was working this temp job. <clears throat> I think I was making like $7.50 an hour working at this medical IPA clinic. And there was a woman named Becky that worked with me. Just this, like very sweet, unassuming older woman. Um and I sucked. I really sucked <laughs> when I was in my 20s and late teens because I was a a product of trauma, a product of the system. <laughs> I mean, I was always poor, I was broke, I was irresponsible. I was I had no idea what I was feeling. So I was just mm. angry at everyone all the time. Like just like I just sucked for a long time. Mm. And she was still so good and so kind to me and would say these edifying things to me that no one had ever really said before. I don't feel like anybody mm. ever said to me without any other caveat that i was mm. smart or that i was capable or that i was any of these things it was always like i would hear things like oh well you know statistically foster kids end up incarcerated or homeless it's like mm. how is that helpful to me in any way mm. she was just a soul feeder and the reason that i think about her as we were having a conversation one day and she she told me that I, she called me smart and i like kind of laughed it off awkwardly because mm. i did not feel smart and and probably didn't know how to take a compliment but also probably didn't take her seriously and she said no i'm i'm being serious you're very intelligent and if you ever figure out um how to leverage that you'll be unstoppable mm. and it was just such an empowering thing to hear and so i responded in this kind of funny cheesy way as i like walked back into my cubicle and i went to ask jeeves which was a thing at that time askjeeves.com i'm dating myself mm-hmm. and i looked for official iq test and <laughs> i took an iq test me who had i had not gone to school since i was a freshman in college or in um high school like i never right. even graduated high school um because i was moved around in foster care too much i took an iq test and the results astounded me And a couple months later I enrolled in community college and that whole community college led me to a dance. Dance led me to mm. um getting my bachelor's. My bachelor's led me to opening my studio. Like all of the ripple effects from that mm. one woman's comment. And so whenever mm. I think about that time, I think number one, we just have zero idea the effects that we can have on another person just by speaking like good truth into their life. That's And that lovely. second of all, Becky didn't yes. know. I it was a temp job. I disappeared. She never knew me again. So she has no idea that she I tried looking for her on Facebook I, to tell her but I couldn't find her. <laughs> Becky Porras if you're out there. Um she has no idea and right. that was another lesson for me is like you will often plant seeds that other people will water and you just kind of mm. have to take it on faith that it was still worth planting those seeds. That's just beautiful. That's so beautiful. I feel that's fundamentally the role of a community builder as well, right? Like you kind of install empower this energy and this uh what do you call this i think this confidence in people that they can do it as well uh yeah. what you're doing and i feel i truly believe first of all i feel i'm i'm so so moved by the by the way you you said the story and you know it's so empowering and so inspiring to me i feel Uh, a a true role of a community builder is 
building a set of community builders right mm. like i love that not not yeah. not a bunch of of course bringing together a bunch of people but imagine it's like <laughs> i'm stealing jay-z's uh word or, or beyonce i don't know which which song it is like what's more cool one billionaire or two billionaires or like more billionaires right like yeah. I, i think <laughs> i think it's 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 much cooler much much brighter in a way i feel uh that's that's great that's beautiful thanks for sharing that i i just want to yeah. end on that high note and okay. <laughs> april i loved this conversation thoroughly and i i learned so much i actually took a lot of notes you know nice. <laughs> which i want to like you know <laughs> and yeah any closing thoughts before we we wrap up the episode no it was lovely it was lovely conversing with you thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak about some stuff i haven't thought about in many many years i appreciate it oh that's that's awesome that's that's what that's what one of the jobs i had is to bring the unpack the conversations unpack the mind you had unpack the thoughts so i hope uh yeah listeners you know community builders just go do it guys like there is nobody stopping you do your do what you can do you know and Yeah, figure it figure things out anyway <laughs> there is no right or wrong answer no answers yeah exactly so thanks for tuning in again and uh stay tuned for another episode you know we have a solid lineup for for the rest of the uh, season i would call for this podcast so uh, appreciate everybody and thank you april again once again yeah, this been this you. been like a great experience talking to you likewise all right cheers guys